Robert Griffin's done. It's over. And I was thinking about Robert Griffin this past weekend. And while it seems like he's been around forever, the demise of Robert Griffin snuck up on me. It happened all of a sudden. I just always assumed they would figure out Robert Griffin. His knee would get healthy. The coaches would figure out how to put him in situations where he can succeed. The light would finally come on and he would learn to take the coaching. He wouldn't try to do everything himself. He wouldn't try to do everything intuitively that he would start to read defenses better. I just, I figured there would be this growth curve and that we were overreacting to how bad Robert Griffin looked last year. And it was a confluence of factors, new coaching, coming back from injury. He wasn't hundred percent. I just figured that this guy was the second overall pick. He was a prolific college quarterback had one of the best seasons by a rookie quarterback in NFL history. It boggled my mind that he could be flushed out of the league in 2015, but that's that's it's looking that way. It's trending that way. The Redskins are trying to trade him, and they can't get anybody back. I wonder if they could get a seventh rounder for Robert Griffin at this point, because if you're an organization and Washington approaches you about a trade, are you interested in Robert Griffin? Do you think there's upside in bringing Robert Griffin to your franchise? Or do you only see downside? Do you only see distraction? Do you only see the things that were the reasons why people weren't interested in bringing in Tebow after he flushed out of the league with the Patriots? And then it took a year off. Everything cooled down. All of the the circus around Tebow cooled down a little bit. The volume went down around Tebow a little bit. And then Philadelphia decided to put their toe back in the water and bring Tebow in. But there was a time when no one would touch Tebow because it wasn't worth it. And so I wonder if that's the case now with Robert Griffin, that he's just, he's just toxic, too polarizing. He's, he's too charged up with just negative energy surrounding him, negative feedback loop that Robert Griffin seems to have caught himself in. If you put yourself in the shoes of a general manager, you can't imagine them trying to target Robert Griffin in trade. Even if you're the Houston Texans, you, you don't have a quarterback. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you already have this Johnny Manziel circus. <laughs> Can you imagine Johnny Manziel and Robert Griffin on the same team? You can't. So you just can't think of a landing spot, and you can't think, well, what's going to happen with this guy? Because clearly if the Redskins are deciding, hey, we're moving on. We're, we're going away from this player. We're making a change at this point. If you decide to make a change at this point, and he's healthy because he had a concussion. And what happens is you go through the concussion protocol and then you're cleared and then you're 100% again. So it it's not a health-related issue. It's not the knee. It's the fact that they've decided he can't play. And if you've decided your quarterback can't play, that's dead weight on the roster. So they must be trying to trade him. And if they can't get a late-round pick for him, you have to think that there's a good chance when the Redskins go ahead and cut down to 53 men to start the season, they might cut... Robert Griffin III, and like Tebow, he might just be out in the wind, released and not picked up. And that's amazing to me. That's amazing. It was 2012 when Robert Griffin exploded onto the NFL. And then whoosh, he's gone. Just gone. And it's interesting to me. It's just interesting how Robert Griffin's career arc has gone. And when you look at other quarterbacks, you look at Jay Cutler. I marvel at this. Jay Cutler is still a starting NFL quarterback at 32 years old. He had one season with more than 4,000 yards, zero seasons with more than 30 touchdowns, and zero seasons with a passer rating above 90. He's just, he's not a good quarterback. He never has been. 
He had that one Pro Bowl season, just like Robert Griffin had that one Pro Bowl season his rookie year. Yet, Jay Cutler continues to get chances, continues to be a starting quarterback, and Robert Griffin is going to be flushed out of the league, and you can't even imagine in your mind's eye him getting an opportunity with another team. It's just over. And with Jay Cutler, it just keeps going. It's like this lit cigarette, right? That you're not really puffing on. It's just slowly burning. His career is slowly burning down to the filter. And we have no... How long will he keep going? How long can this guy stay in the league? He can't help teams win. He enables team losing. That's what he does. When you have 27 combined turnovers, like he did in 2014, fumbles plus interceptions, you're the reason for the losing. And yet they still bring him back. It's amazing. Why is that? What's the difference between Jay Cutler? How is it that Jay Cutler keeps getting chances, stays in the league like a cockroach, yet Robert Griffin is just quickly flushed out. Like, ooh, like a, like a, a, a bad stain on a piece of paper. Just ooh, throw it away, flush it away, whatever it is. Just get it out of here. This is gross. But Jay Cutler, he's also gross, but we're going to leave him in the house. We're going to let him st- stay around and stink up the place, and we're not going to do anything about it. Weird. Just weird. What's the difference? So what's the difference between Jay Cutler and Robert Griffin III, is there a fundamental difference between these two players at their core that might enable Jay Cutler to stay in the NFL's good graces, to continue to keep his leadership position with his team? But Robert Griffin III is stripped of his leadership position. What is the, is there a fundamental difference between these two players? I can't think of it. I can't think of it. If you can think of it, email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com, or tweet us, at rotounderworld on Twitter. I can't think of the reason. I can't think of the difference. It also makes me think of uh, two other players who look very similar on paper, similar career arcs, Charles Johnson and Jeff Janis. Charles Johnson is from Grand Valley State. That's where he went to college. Jeff Janis went to Saginaw Valley State. Same conference, same level of competition, very similar athleticism, athleticism scores and spark scores. So very productive, similar dominator ratings. So they were hugely dominant, 90th percentile and above dominator ratings at college. 90th percentile and above athleticism scores, speed size freaks, huge burst. And the only difference between the two players is that Jeff Janis has a 97th percentile agility score and Charles Johnson has a below average agility score. But even if you go and look at the scouting reports of the two players, similar scouting reports, raw, unpolished, explosive playmakers, same. What's the difference between those two players? They look similar on paper. Like I said, Jeff Janis has an advantage in agility. That's about it when you look at him from that perspective, when you just go through the metrics one by one. Yet, right now, Charles Johnson is viewed by everyone around the Minnesota Vikings as the clear-cut number one option for Teddy Bridgewater, a player that is hugely versatile, can play flanker, can play the slot, can play split end, going to be relied upon in every situation, red zone threat, deep threat, possession receiver, can do it all. Consistent, reliable, Jeff Janis, inconsistent, unreliable, doesn't really have a position, can't even practice with the ones because he's not reliable enough to play any of the three positions as well as rookie Ty Montgomery. Weird. Isn't that weird? You can say, well, Charles Johnson's a year older. He has a year more experience in the league, but he doesn't because Charles Johnson lost his rookie year with a torn ACL. So Charles Johnson and Jeff Janis have similar levels of experience similar resumes, and they're almost identical on paper. Yet one has a polar opposite perception of the other. Just like Jay Cutler, after his third year, there was a lot of hope. He had 
He had a big year, his third year. He was traded to Chicago. He was going to be the savior in Chicago. Charles Johnson is going to be the savior wide receiver in Minnesota. So these guys going into their fourth seasons, just woo! Charles Johnson going into his third season. Jay Cutler going into his fourth season. Perception is that these guys are going to be difference makers for their teams, leaders on offense. They will help their teams win games. That was the perception of these players. Robert Griffin and Jeff Janis, the opposite. Too inconsistent to contribute to the team. The bigger question is, are they worth a roster spot? What's the difference between these players? What's the difference between Jeff Janis and Charles Johnson? We, we, on paper, they look very similar. Is there any fundamental difference between those two players? I wonder. Can't think of it. I'm, I'm grasping. Is there any difference in the fundamental perception of those two players that you can pinpoint? Again, email the show. RotoUnderworld at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at RotoUnderworld. Same thing with Robert Griffin versus Jay Cutler. Is there a fundamental difference between these two players that I'm not seeing that is obvious to everyone else, not me? I feel like this is one of those things where there's a fundamental difference between Jay Cutler and Robert Griffin, and it's the same fundamental difference that there is between Charles Johnson and Jeff Janis. Maybe a different variation of the same difference, but similar. And it's right in front of my face and I can't see it. And so that's why we need the audience to help. So someone help me, please. But let's just get back to the reality, back to what is going on in Washington. And Robert Griffin is out and Jay Cutler has been traded to the Washington Redskins. That's not true. Imagine that. Imagine if they imagine if Washington went from Robert Griffin to Jay Cutler. That'd be great. Oh, that would be that would be funny. Imagine if they went from Robert Griffin to Tim Tebow to Jay Cutler. Oh, we could just keep playing this game. But no, they've, they've gone from RG3 to Kirk Cousins. And here's my view. The, the demotion of Robert Griffin III was a good thing for all the skill position players with Washington. Because last year, Kirk Cousins was a good quarterback. I don't know where the narrative started that he's not a good quarterback. Because from what I can see, he's a good quarterback. You look at his metrics from last year. Kirk Cousins, 1,710 passing yards. Not bad. In only six games. Hmm. His red zone completion percentage, 60%, 10th in the league. Deep ball completion percentage, 46.2%, also top 10 in the league. What about efficiency? Plus 22.9 production premium, 86.4 passer rating, 8.4 yards per attempt, 3.8 air yards per attempt. His 8.4 yards per attempt, number two in the league. Now, not a fair comparison because he did his in only six games over a 16-game sample that would decrease and he wouldn't be in the top five. Obviously, I think we can say that. that would, that's obvious. But still, even in his small sample size, he played well. He performed well. And that is noteworthy. Small sample size or not, it is noteworthy. Just like it's noteworthy that in a limited number of snaps, Martavis Bryant played well. Yes, it was a small sample, but it's still noteworthy. Kirk Cousins was good for 18 fantasy points a game last year. That's above replacement. I like Kirk Cousins. In two quarterback leagues or leagues that have super flex, I am targeting Kirk Cousins. I think he is an upgrade over Robert Griffin III. Because even though I believe the way the league has treated Robert Griffin III versus someone like Jay Cutler, the public perception of a Robert Griffin III versus a Jay Cutler, I find curious. But the fact of the matter is, Robert Griffin III stunk last year. Negative 21.7 production premium was 37th in the league, and his 30.8 total QBR was 34th in the league. That's Blake Bortlesian 
It was the, the worst quarterbacks in the league in 2014 were quite easily, not really much competition here, Robert Griffin III and Blake Bortles. Those are your worst quarterbacks in the league last year. It was awful. He was awful. And his teammates still like him. He's still a likable guy. And I think the teammates are conflicted. But I think deep down, they're glad that this change was made. And you look at a former teammate like Chris Cooley. This is what Chris Cooley had to say when evaluating Robert Griffin last year. This is from the Washington Post. What we are going to do is we are going to give incompletes to the entire offense, Cooley said. Because I don't know how to grade them. I can't grade the passing game. The quarterback does not allow a proper grading of the pass game because there was something I've never seen go on a football field before. Cooley goes on to say, There was a game plan initially installed, and I understand that game plan because I'm a former Washington player, but the game plan was not run or operated in any way, shape, or form the way it was conceived. Cooley continued, There was a quarterback not reading the field the way he should have been. There was a quarterback scrambling when he should not have been. You can't grade anyone else around Robert Griffin because of the way Robert played. Think about this for a second. This amazes me. He said, Cooley said, this is something he's never seen on a football field. He didn't say it's not something we've seen in the NFL before. This is something we haven't seen go on in the... Last two minutes of the fourth quarter before, it's a unique situation. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I've never seen this ever in the history of watching football. That Robert Griffin would go back there and essentially not run through the read progressions that the play was designed to run through. That he was just out there improvising as if he didn't even know what play was called. As if it was just playing on a sandlot. And Jay Gruden, last year, you could tell in the press conferences after the game, was exasperated by this phenomenon, by Robert Griffin's play, by Robert Griffin's incompetence. And the incompetence is laid out well by Chris Cooley, the anecdotal narrative on the Washington Post. It's also laid out on playerprofiler.com. When you look at Robert Griffin's production premium, QBR, everything. Fantasy points per dropback, 0.33, 41 in the league. There were efficiency metrics where Robert Griffin III was worse than Blake Bortles. Worse than Blake Bortles? How is that possible? I don't know how it's possible. I don't know. I don't know how it's possible. (laughs) So I'm upgrading two players specifically on the Redskins now that this change has been made. The first is Deshaun Jackson. Just like we talked about Brandon Marshall gets a bump, Eric Decker gets a bump now that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback for the New York Jets and not Geno Smith, same principle applies to Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. Now that Kirk Cousins, a functional quarterback who reads the defenses as NFL quarterbacks typically do and has shown at the NFL level that he can be at or above replacement level, You have to give Deshaun Jackson a boost because Deshaun Jackson's had the most impressive year of any wide receiver last year. Remember what we just talked about as it related to the evaluation of Deshaun Jackson and analysts' inability to evaluate any of the other skill position players on the Redskins because of Robert Griffin's incompetence. 
Now go to playerprofiler.com and look up Deshaun Jackson's profile. And what you will see will astound you. Knowing that that's the quarterback play he had to deal with last year, Deshaun Jackson posted a plus 33.7 production premium, fourth in the league. The production premium is not an isolated efficiency metric. You need your supporting cast. If you're a wide receiver, you need your quarterback to perform well to post the best possible production premium. Because Tony Romo performed so well last year, that's why Terrence Williams and Des Bryant and Cole Beasley all have top five production premiums on playerprofiler.com from 2014. One of the other two guys in the top five from last year's production premium metric, Deshaun Jackson, with Robert Griffin throwing him the ball. That is astounding. That's mind-blowing. Deshaun Jackson was plus 33.7 in production premium, plus 50.8 in target premium, number one in the league, 12.3 yards per target, number one in the league. He also had a 50% contested catch rate, which is impressive by itself. It's highly, highly, highly impressive for a burner that's 5'10", 175. Deshaun Jackson had the best year of any wide receiver last year because it's a symbiotic relationship between the quarterback and his wide receivers. They help each other. And for a player to be that productive, over 1,100 yards, and that efficient, Number one in multiple efficiency metrics. With Robert Griffin III as his quarterback, you have to say that Deshaun Jackson had the most impressive season for any wide receiver last year. And I don't think it's close. So for that reason, once I saw Kirk Cousins become Washington's quarterback, I immediately boosted Deshaun Jackson into our top 20 on playerprofiler.com's player rankings. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Deshaun Jackson is a tremendous value. He continues to slip and slip. Round five, round six, round seven, sometimes round eight. For some reason, people have a hard time pushing the button, pushing the draft player button when, it, when it's time to draft Deshaun Jackson. And I don't know why, because he was fantastic last year. And now with a full season of Kirk Cousins at the helm, he will be even better. He'll be back to 1,300 yard, maybe double digit touchdown Deshaun Jackson, because he's not 30 yet. He's still 28 years old. So he still has time. He's still close to his prime. He's on the back end of his career. But Deshaun Jackson is, is one of those players I am now aggressively targeting. And it's interesting that I'm also not aggressively targeting, but certainly targeting in a way I wasn't targeting before, Pierre Garçon. Because Pierre Garçon is going to benefit from the presence of Kirk Cousins. Let's look at the Pierre Garçon profile. Remember, in 2013, he led the league in targets and receptions. Led the NFL in targets and receptions in 2013, did Pierre Garçon. It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good, right? Very good. He's an excellent player. You don't get to number one in the league in receptions by not being a good player. Pretty good. Excellent. Did I say excellent? I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about Washington's passing attack, so he's not excellent, okay? Deshaun Jackson's excellent. The superlative I reserve for Deshaun Jackson is excellent. Pierre Garçon, very good. You can't, again, I'll say it again, you can't be number one in the league in receptions for any given season at the NFL level and not be pretty good. Just can't do it. That's why Garçon has catapulted into the top 50 on the playerprofiler.com player rankings for that reason. So I am buying Pierre Garçon and I am aggressively targeting Deshaun Jackson now because this is, this is a 
This is a significant quarterback upgrade that no one's really talking about. Now, I just had the home league draft. The home league draft that we all talk about. That league that your friends are in, your buddies from college, your buddies from high school. I had that draft on Sunday. That league, just to give you a little bit of a little bit of background in that league, I'm going to talk about that league for a moment. And if so, if you don't like it when other people talk about their fantasy leagues, when people lay out the format, here's the format of my fantasy league. Oh my! I tuned into the SiriusXM channel 87 Fantasy Sports Radio, and the Guru John Hansen, the Guru, he said, "Oh, we're going to go to some callers." And immediately when people go to callers, I'm like, "Oh boy, okay." <laughs> You don't have any thoughts that you want to share with us, John? You got to go to callers as your crutch? Okay. Okay. What do you got for callers? Oh, uh, hey. Uh, so I'm in a 12-team uh, half-point PPR league. It, the guy on the other end of the line spent 20 seconds laying out his format for having some awful question that helped no one by listening to John Hansen's answer. Us listening into John Hansen help this person helped nobody's fantasy team. It was awful content. It's why I will never do a show where we take calls from the audience and help people with their fantasy teams. I, I will never put that content on the air because I respect the audience. Because I realize that there are people out here that are listening to this. And no one wants to listen to that. So why would you put it on the radio? I don't know. But I never will. I promise. Never. Oh, we're going to take some callers. Jim from New Jersey. What's your league format, Jim? Oh, my God. <laughs> if I had to do that show, I'd just bring cyanide pills. And they'd be like, what happened to Matt? Where'd he go? Oh, I'm dead. Because that's better off. So I'm giving you as a heads up, letting you know so that you can fast forward on your podcast app the next five minutes. Because I'm going to talk about my league for five minutes just to give everybody... Uh, a little anecdote about what happened in this league. Auction draft, two quarterbacks. We start two quarterbacks, three running backs, five receivers, two tight ends, and a flex. So it's very deep starting lineup, only four bench players. And and so with two tight ends and two quarterbacks, the quarterbacks and the, and the tight ends are at a, at a premium. They're, they're more closely valued to the running back and the receiver position. It's the league format that I find equalizes the, the positional values the best. But the interesting thing is that, that it's, a, it's an auction. And auctions are so much more fun. They're so much more challenging. They're so much more intellectually stimulating than the boring snake drafts. I wish everyone would just move to auction so that we could stop talking about ADPs. I hate ADPs. I have to talk about ADPs because that's the standard. That's what most people do or snake drafts. And therefore, ADP has to be the way we talk about player cost and player value in the context of an average draft position. But... I'll let you all know, just editorializing, I hate that because the auction is the pure market-based player valuation system. It's not the ADP. Snake drafts are dumb. Auction drafts are smart and so much more fun because there's game theory involved. You always are looking at the other teams, assessing how they're bidding, what their tendencies are. It's much more like a, a sitting down and playing Hold'em at an eight-person table. The best players will evaluate all the players at the table and they will make plays based on the players that they're playing against. And it's similar with auction. There's a lot of game theory involved. There's a lot of mind games and there's a lot of discipline. A lot more of all of that than you'll find in snake drafts. You have to monitor everyone's roster 
and the needs of those rosters will factor into your decision making who you nominate when and it was interesting we had a buzzard who wrote in and said he wanted to be in a in an auction draft and i did have an opening in my home league so i allowed a buzzard to swoop in and join the home league his name's jordan Poole, and i regretted it the moment the auction started i regretted it because here's what would happen i would bid on a player and Jordan would just draft off of my bids. Every time I started bidding, he would bid. When I stopped bidding, he would stop bidding. It was like I would, it was like he was my shadow the entire draft. And you might say, well, it's only one person. No, 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 no. Think about it. Think it through. If there's only one person shadowing you throughout an entire auction, that person is ne can necessarily make you overpay for almost every player. Only, it only takes one person drafting on against your bids to cost you 10 to 20 dollars in an auction which could mean the difference between owning deshaun jackson and not owning deshaun jackson it's a big deal and it's also just hugely frustrating while it's happening that every time you think you're going to get jeff janice for five dollars this guy comes over the top of you every time you think you're going to get a good value on teddy bridgewater this guy comes over the top of you every time you think you're going to sneak charles johnson in for ten dollars this guy comes over the top of you so you can never really get good value imagine being in an auction with 10 knuckleheads who don't really know or appreciate the value of a jeff janice or a tevin coleman or a charles johnson but as long as there's one guy in the auction that does he will make you pay full price for all of the players you love and this just isn't a savvy person this is a person who religiously listens to this show so when I would aggressively bid, he would aggressively bid even more. So he made it impossible for me to acquire Charles Johnson. I couldn't get Tevin Coleman. I couldn't get Teddy Bridgewater. The players I ended up winning in the, in the draft were the players that I liked, but I didn't vocalize how much I liked them on the show. Therefore, he didn't know how much I liked them. So my roster consists of players like Carson Palmer, Mark Ingram, Golden Tate, Deshaun Jackson, Greg Olson, Martellus Bennett, Arian Foster, Devin Funchess. These are players that I haven't been waving the flag on. The players I've been waving the flag, he went to the mattresses to get those players. I had no chance at Charles Johnson, no chance at Teddy Bridgewater. And he made me pay through the nose. I don't know where that, where does the origins of that term come from? Pay through the nose, that cliche. We get a buzzards look that up for me at roto underworld on twitter roto underworld at gmail.com what what are the origins of pay through the nose but he did i had to pay 11 dollars for jeff janice which the bidding the other people stopped bidding at four dollars and then i had to bid against this one buzzard all the way up to 11 and i said to myself i don't care i understand what you're doing i understand you're drafting off me and i understand you because you're a fan of the show, you like all the same players I like. And because you know that I like Jeff Janis more than anyone else, you're going to pay whatever it takes to get Jeff Janis. I'm going to pay whatever it takes to get Jeff Janis. And we're just going to gonna go at it. You'll pay whatever it takes. I'll pay whatever it takes. You'll pay whatever it takes. I'll pay whatever it takes. You'll pay whatever it takes. You'll pay whatever it takes. Sold! Jeff Janis sold for more than Martellus Bennett in a two tight end league. Awful. I was so upset. I, I thanked him. I don't know what happened. He let me have Mike Evans for value. And I don't know if he just stepped away 
to get a soda or what happened. That was the only case where I was like, wow, you let me have Mike Evans for a, a reasonable cost. Where was he? He must have had to take a phone call or something. But yeah, it was maddening. My team could have been better. My team could have been just all the play because it's an auction. So I, in an auction situation, also in a league like that, that's super deep, most auctions that are standard format, standard roster structure, you want to go studs and duds. That's almost always, I can give you that tip. If you're starting two running backs, two receivers, one flex, one quarterback, one tight end, you want to go studs and duds. You want to just get three or four first-round picks and then just dollar players after that. that. That is the strategy every time in that type of auction. But in a super deep league, it's the opposite. You want to take advantage of everyone spending their money early, and then you can gobble up all this value later. You can get Golden Tate for $15. You can get Deshaun Jackson for 10 You can get Martellus Bennett for 10 You can get Mark Ingram for 10 You can get Todd Gurley for 10 You can get Cam Newton for 15 in a two-quarterback league. This is the kind of value I was getting because I let everyone else spend their money early, as did Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole also did the interesting thing where he always made sure he had a little bit more money than me. So if it ever came right down to it, I was going to be outbid. The one other interesting thing that happened was I was bidding with my cousin Aaron. He and I go way back. He's like my best friend slash best cousin friend. He came to my house to, to do the auction with me, and he's been doing that strategy for 10 years, the hold your money back and get value late strategy. He's been doing that strategy forever. And so it ended up happening where everyone else was down to like $50 left, and Jordan... The buzzard, the shadow buzzard, Aaron, my cousin, and I had like $150. And then it got down to the end, and, and the three of us had the most money. And I was bidding on Devontae Parker, and of course, Jordan was going over the top. The buzzard was going over the top. And I said, I'm out. I'm out of money. He's, he's got more money than me. And then Aaron looked at me, and he goes, wait, I have more money than him right now. And I'm like, you have more money than him? Oh, it's on, baby. Go get Devontae Parker. So the buzzer thought he was being smart, had more money than me at the end, thought he was going to gobble up Tevin Coleman and Devontae Parker, but my wingman actually ended up with Devontae Parker and Tevin Coleman, and the buzzer's plan backfired. So that I loved. One other thing that was interesting about this, and I can, I can give you one example of how auctions are, are mind games. There were th I needed a running back to fill out my roster at the end, and I had three targets, Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson, and David Johnson in that order. However, Duke Johnson was nominated first, and I had a choice. I could bid on Duke Johnson and lose my opportunity because I only had one roster spot left, lose any opportunity at Tevin Coleman. And I looked at the Buzzards roster, and I saw Jordan also needed a running back and had more money than me. And I hemmed and hawed, and I went back and forth, and I said, okay, that's it. When Tevin Coleman gets nominated, he's going to get Tevin Coleman anyway. So I need to just forget Tevin Coleman altogether. It's not going to happen for Tevin Coleman. I know my opponent. I know his needs. And I know what his remaining budget is. I'm going to go ahead and gobble up Duke Johnson. Well, time expired. And I went to hit the button and lost him. Tevin Coleman gets nominated. There's a bidding war between my cousin and the buzzard. My cousin won. High five. Yeah! F you, buzzard! Team people drafting in my house won that time. Yeah, victory. So then I ended up with David Johnson. So that's how you go from Tevin Coleman, wish could have had Duke Johnson, and end up with David Johnson. Those are the mind games. That's the game within the game of the auction. And it's just very interesting. Now, there was one message on the message board 
during that auction, my buddy Greg, who always likes to go in, we've mostly weeded out this nonsense from the, the draft lobby, but the comment did come in. How did you all let me get player X for such a low price? Oh yeah. Great job, buddy. You got a good deal. Let's go ahead and broadcast it. You want to want an attaboy? Attaboy. Attaboy. Good job, Greg. Here's a little, here's a snack. Here, go get it. Go get it. Good job. Good job, buddy. Attaboy. So we only had that one time, and that was when Greg won Doug Martin. Doug Martin, his ADP is rising faster than any player that we've we've seen. Now, other than players that are, are rising due to injury, like Devontae Adams or Devin Funches, Doug Martin's ADP is skyrocketing. It has risen 20 spots, which is a lot. Going from pick 77 to pick 57, that's a lot of slots. I don't understand it. He had one nice run in preseason where he ran through some arm tackles, ducked under some tacklers, and, and, and you got a nice preseason run where the defenders are not playing at 100%. And, and one run in preseason canceled out two years of inefficiency. How does that happen? How does that work? Because I don't look at one season and say, one season defines Doug Martin. His first year in the league. That does not define Doug Martin. It was a nice season. It really was. It was a great season. I mean, congratulations, Doug. You had a good season in the NFL. Most players don't ever get one good season. But there's a lot of players in the NFL, if you look back through time, that had that one good season and they couldn't replicate it. They're called one-year wonders. And there's multiple one-year wonders every year. And the chances that a one-year wonder has his one year and then has two full inefficient seasons after that and then comes back and is efficient all over again three years later, it's just very rare. And again, not full seasons, but seasons go by, seasons expire, and he's not able to demonstrate efficiency. Doug Martin, 1,454 yards and 11 touchdowns in 2012. That's just rushing. He also had 49 catches for 472 yards and another touchdown receiving. He was a top five running back in 2012. But then in 2013, the wheels fell off for Doug Martin. In 2013, yeesh, negative 36.7 production premium. Player profilers, situation agnostic efficiency metric. That was essentially dead last. 3.6 yards per carry was close to dead last. 0.42 fantasy points per opportunity, dead last. Then in 2014, what happens? Does he come back? Does he demonstrate that 2013, 13 was an anomaly in 2014. He's going to be back to the old Doug Martin. No. Negative 30 production premium. 77th in the league. 3.7 yards per carry. And here's the kicker. Here's the, the nail in the coffin for Doug Martin last year. 16.9% juke rate. 68th in the league. Not productive. Not in any way evasive. And then the excuse making. Well, he was hurt. He was playing through injury. That happens. We'll give him a pass. No, you don't give the player a pass. Why are you giving him a pass? Then you have to give every player that played through any ailment a pass. If you are going to be making these arbitrary judgments of which players you want to give a pass for their past inefficiencies and which players you don't, you're going to be caught in this never-ending spiral of trying to gauge how injured players were, and you're going to do it unsuccessfully because none of us know exactly how hurt any of these players were. So for that reason, I take all efficiency metrics on face value. I don't discount them because there's anecdotal analysis out there that they were playing hurt. Can't do it. Won't do it. So Doug Martin has 16 games of efficiency in 2012 and then 17 games of inefficiency from 2013 through 2014. 
I am more inclined to believe that Doug Martin is the inefficient Doug Martin because that's the bigger sample. Also, the sample expands when you go and pull in college statistics because in college, Doug Martin only had a 24.3% dominator rating, 38th percentile, and only a 4.9 yards per carry, again, in the Mountain Whack Conference, 15th percentile. So not an impressive college athlete, not impressive the last two years, one impressive season for Doug Martin since high school. So no, that's why I'm not drafting Doug Martin. If I'm drafting a player, I'm drafting Charles Sims because while Doug Martin's ADP is 57, Charles Sims slots in at 137. And Charles Sims' profile is more prolific. He was a more prolific college runner and his workout metrics are better. So that's it. It's simple. Charles Sims has a better opportunity to be great because we don't know what he is. He hasn't demonstrated inefficiency yet, at least not with a large sample. He could be good. We don't know. I'm going to bet on the unknown. What we do know is that Doug Martin is over.